Um, I do want to do a little bit of review, get us caught back up what we've been talking about. Y'all been enjoying this on the body? It's, it's good, isn't it? It's who we are. So, you know, it's good every now and then to look in the mirror. It's good every now and then to take a look at who you are and what we're supposed to be doing, what we're supposed to look like. And, um, you know, we first saw that Paul relates the church to a body. Uh, remember we said that God a lot of times in the Word, when he's, when he's talking about something in the supernatural realm or in the spirit realm, um, he uses a natural thing that we can see, that we can take a look at, to look at characteristics, look at likenesses. Um, and so we can identify that the church is supposed to look like a body. Well, we all know what a body is supposed to look like. We all know what our bodies look like, how they function, how they work together, um, you know, all the ins and outs. I mean, we operate in a body every day. So by doing that, when we are talking about the church, talking about the body of Christ, um, it's very easy to identify uh, what is a church and what is not a church. And that's what we want to do a lot of times when you're trying to explain something or when you're trying to tell somebody about something. Um, a lot of times it's just as much help to tell them what it isn't to tell them what it is. Um, you know, I can give you the opposites to something, and that helps you understand um, how something is or how it operates. So we've been looking at the church, and Paul describes the church as a body, as a body made up of many members but one unit. Okay, We saw in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, those are the two main texts that we've been using that Paul talks about the body of Christ. And um, we've been looking through there and seeing all the different functions. The next thing that we saw was the head. Because how many of you know that every body has to have a head? That's one of the most vital, if not the most vital part of a body. And when you have a body that's not connected to the head, then there's no life in the body. And so we saw that Jesus is the head of the church. And since the church is the body, he's the head of the body. And we took a look at what does the head do and, and how does it uh, carry out functions through the body and, and how does it give orders and how does uh, the body take care of the head and those type of things. And then last week we took some time to understand the body itself. We took a look at how the body represents or reflects the head. It should always do that. Nobody looks at you and says, hey, glad to see you brought your head with you today or glad to see you hooked your body up today. It's not two separate things. It's one. So what we say about the head, we can then transfer down to the body. And last week we talked about the transfer. Because if you don't understand who the head is, then you won't rightfully represent the head. And we said that Jesus is a king. He's royalty. He's in a position, in a government position. He's not a religious leader. So we are not reflecting Jesus as just another religious person. We're not just showing off Jesus as he's a leader of this belief system, and you can follow him and believe the same things, and you'll be a part of that religion. Uh, that's not what we're doing. Um, Jesus was a government official. He was the head of the kingdom of God. He's a king which puts us in a position of royalty because if he's in that and we're connected to him, then that's our position as well. So those are the things that we've looked at so far. And today um, I kind of want to get into um, how we 
relate to each other. Uh, so far, we've seen three things. Um, we've pointed out two, but the three that we pointed out, remember we said that man was designed to be influenced by three different things. The first thing man was supposed to be influenced by is God, God the creator, God the king of heaven. Okay, um, That is the first person thing that we're supposed to be influenced by. The second thing is God's word. That's his wisdom. That's his spirit. Um, that's the second thing that we are supposed to be influenced by. But the third thing that we're supposed to be influenced by in our lives is each other. So our relationship with each other is very vital to understand. Our relationship with each other in the body, in this church, um, is, is very vital. Remember we said that Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 told Peter that he was going to build his church. He said, upon this rock I will build my church. And the reason he says that is because there is a my church and then there is a not my church. And Jesus is coming back for his church, period. Um, the question is, is who is going to be his church? Who's going to rightfully represent his church? Who's going to be that body that he's coming back for? He's coming back for a holy church, blameless, uh, without spot or blemish. This is what Jesus is coming back for. So we want to be that church. And Jesus said that I will build the church. So he's the one planning this thing out. He's the master builder. He's the one that chooses who's going where and, and what's doing what. Chooses the roles, chooses the fits, does all that. So we need to look to him to see what this thing is supposed to look like. And so we need to find out what our relationship is with each other. Again, if we're talking about a body, if we're going to identify a body, our physical bodies, um, if anybody in here has a part of their body that's not working with the rest of their body, that's what you call abnormal. That's a problem, okay? Um, you go to the doctor for those type of things. I mean, if you've got, you know, a heart that's running irregular and is fighting against the rest of your body, you go to the doctor. Um, if you have, uh, you know, bowel issues and it's fighting against the rest of your body, I mean, you're, you're going to the doctor for these kind of things. Um, so as, as a church... We have to work together. We have to be working uh, in one accord, under one mind, having one purpose. Okay, so that's what we want to look at. Tonight. And I want to start with. Um, let's start with. We'll start, we'll start with Romans chapter twelve. Romans chapter twelve. This was one of our key texts that we've been looking at. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12, and let's start with verse 3. And Paul says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So right here, Paul is, again, making the allusion to the church as a body. 
And he says, just as your body and my body functions with many different members, they're all pursuing the same goal, and they're all working together. My heart is working with my lungs. My stomach is working with, you know, everything, all the intestines. Uh, my hands are working with my feet. And everything is being, uh, is functioning according to how the head directs. Okay? All the direction in my body comes from my head right here. Um, and I, all of the rest of my body is working together to cause whatever the head wants done to be done. So if I want to go outside, my legs walk me outside. If I want to take a drink of water, my hands grab a bottle of water and bring it to my mouth, and I drink it. Um, the whole body is working together as one unit. And so he makes that quick correlation here, and he pulls out something. He says, but for as we have many members in one body, and look what he says here, and all the members do not have the same function. Well, we can all agree on that. My hand isn't doing what my foot's doing. I'm not, you know, walking around on my hands. My ears aren't doing what my mouth is doing. I'm not talking out of my ears. I mean, you know, it sounds very simple, sounds very easy, but that's what he's saying here. There, each member has its individual function. And so this is what the enemy tries to use against the church. Remember that Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And Jesus, in a statement we're actually going to look at, Jesus makes a statement and he says, that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. It can't operate. It will be destroyed. It will fall. It will crumble. Why? Because there's division. And when you're fighting against yourself, you're not able to accomplish anything advancing or anything forwarding because everything is inward. Okay? And so the church, the body of Christ, if it's divided against itself, if all the functions are not working towards the same goal, then you're going to have division and the body will crumble. And we see this in churches all the time. We see this in churches all the time. And we're actually going to identify that this is nothing new. It's 2011. This is not the first time that churches have decided to rise up against each other and people in the church decide to bring division and dissension to each other. Um, we're going to see here that this is, it's already been addressed in the Bible. I love that when things are already addressed in the Bible and you can go there and find out what to do about something. That's awesome, okay? So we're going to look at that. But let's continue here with, with this real quick. Romans chapter 12, verse 5. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So see, we're not losing your indiv individuality. And that's... One of the top things that people go after, especially in this day and age, and especially in our nation, in America, is people are trying to gain a name for themselves. And they're trying to get out who they are. And I'm an individual, and I want to be me, and I want to do my thing. And that's not what this is about. You are an individual, but you're not independent. And those are two completely different things. People um, in... And this is where the enemy tries to trick and tries to draw people away because 
He tries to take what God has given you, your individuality. Only you can do what you do. Okay? But the enemy will take that and he'll twist it and he'll try to say you're good enough on your own. I think we just looked at a verse here um, in verse, verse 3. We'll go back up to verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That phrase right there, think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, says two things. It's one of two things. You're either saying, my gift is all sufficient, meaning that I'm the only one that's needed, or you're saying that my gift is greater. It's one of those two things. And this is where the enemy tries to get you. And just to, just a side note, Romans 12, 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2, is where Paul is talking about renew your mind. So obviously this is an area that we need to renew our minds to. Obviously this is an area that we need to get our minds back in line with on not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Okay? This is a key area. And this is very dangerous because we will use gifts. And in this church specifically, we will use gifts. In fact, that is one of my roles as your pastor is to find out what your gift is to the body and draw it out and put it to use. And, and I'm all about that. That's probably one of my favorite things uh, to, to do as a pastor is to see people come through those doors and see what gift is she bringing to the church. What gift is he have that's going to be an asset to the church and you know some people want to get off on well you don't really value me as a person i value you so much that i don't want your gift to lay dormant somewhere and some people just want to do that for some people all they want to do is just come to church sit listen and and go and that's as far as they want to go but we're finding out that if you're a part of the body then you're bringing a supply Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16 says, uh, every joint supplies. If you're a joint within this body, then there's the gift that we want to draw out. We want to use it. And everyone has a gift. Some people have multiple gifts. Some people have one very strong gift. Um, you know, and, and I thank God that my body right here, that there's no part of me that refuses to do what it wants to do. And again, if you have that, you go get that checked out. That's abnormal. If there's a part of my body that refuses um, to work, you know, that's a defect. That's a problem. If my ears decide to all of a sudden not work, uh, that's an ailment. Because now other parts of my body are having to make up for what my ears can't do. Okay? If, if, if you can't see, if my eyes just decide to quit working. You become blind, and now the rest of my body is having to do certain things to make sure that I get around without my eyes. Those are defects. Those are ailments within the body, and it's the same way with the body of Christ. So the first thing he points out is do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. This is very important because as individuals, you have a gift you are an individual, you have something to bring, but it is to be used within the body of Christ. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. 
ministry, let us use in our ministering. We're going to define that word later on in this series on ministry because we're, I'm not going to limit it to somebody standing up in a pulpit and preaching. Okay, ministry goes way beyond that. Okay? He who teaches in teaching, if you exhort in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads, and, and basically what Paul is doing here is he's pulling out some, some gifts within the body. He's pulling out, look, if you teach, then teach. If you exhort, if you encourage, if you're an encouraging person, then encourage the body. Um, if you prophesy, then prophesy. Give a prophecy. Okay? Um, and, you know, there's all kinds of gifts. And I'll tell you right now, we're not going to limit it to just what we think a gift in the church looks like. Because for us, cooking is a gift. Hospitality is a gift. Um, nursing home, and if you have a desire to meet with older people in nursing homes, that's a gift. I mean, these are all gifts within the body. If you have an outreach gift, you just it's just easy for you to go and talk to new people and, and just share the kingdom with them. That's a gift. Um, building, construction, uh, administration. I mean, you'll find out that when it comes to the supportive areas of gifts, sky's the limit. Because it's all necessary in the church. It's all necessary. Janitorial, it's necessary in the church. I mean, down in St. Augustine, uh, we have someone within our church that we pay. And they come in three times a week and they clean the church. Take out all the trash, mop the floors, do the bathrooms. I mean, that's necessary. Okay? And those are gifts that you can bring to the body. But you have individual gifts, but it's to be used within the church. You know, there are gifts that people have that they're not using in the church. And, you know, I thank God for people that have been given God-given talents and are using them for the kingdom. Uh, you know, Tim Tebow is one. Colt McCoy. Uh, Josh Hamilton from the Texas Rangers. I mean, these are athletes that have taken the stage that they have to spread the word of the kingdom, to spread the gospel of Jesus. And that's awesome. Because it's not a selfish motive. It's not out of a selfish manner of, this is what I've got. Um, there's rock stars that ought to be playing in some churches. There's pop singers that ought to be singing in some choirs and churches. Um, you know, there's some athletes. You know, I, I know of Christian schools that they could get involved with and, and help with football programs and baseball programs. Uh, we, can't, we cannot get stuck that our gift serves us. Okay. We've been given talents, um, and, you know, you may even be in a gift for a certain time and then be drawn out of that, but you're always willing to go back to that gift. I mean, I know I've been playing drums um, in churches since I was 11 years old, playing, playing for churches, and I'd still do it to this day. If we had a rest of a band, it's just kind of hard to lead some worship songs just from the drums. It'd be a little weird. <laughs> Just as long as you can stay along with me, I'm all right. Um, but, you know, I go back to it this day. That's not something that I've put aside and said, well, you know, I'm too good for that now. Um, I'll work with kids again. Uh, these are gifts that we have um, that need to be used and utilized within the church. That, this is our purpose right here. And the church should get your gift first before, before everything else. If you've, got a, if you've got talent with kids, the church should get it before the school systems get it. Um, if you've got talent with sports, the church should get it before, uh, you know, you start picking up teams and, and whatever. I mean, the sky's the limit because God gave you the gift. 
And he desired you, desired for you to use it within his body and use that talent and that gift within his body. Okay? So you are an individual, but you don't work independent. It's two different things. Uh, let's look at our next passage real quick. I think we're looking at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the other passage that Paul uses uh, specifically to talk about the body of Christ. And we're going to look a little bit through 1 Corinthians. We're going to identify some things. But um, before I do that, I want to give you a little background on this book. The Corinthian church was a church that Paul planted himself. He went to Corinth. He set up this church, pastored it a little bit. And then he left and he put someone else in charge. Okay? And when he wrote this letter, it had been anywhere from four to seven years that he had left the church, came back, or had heard, not necessarily came back, but had heard what was going on in the church, and wasn't very pleased. Um, And you'll see why when we start looking through the book of 1 Corinthians, that he started hearing about some things that were going on in this church, and he actually expected different results. We'll see in 1 Corinthians 3 that he he says, you ought to have been at this level, but we're not, and this is a problem. So 1 Corinthians is a very instructional book. He talks about uh, the Lord's Supper and how to partake of the Lord's Supper. He talks about the gifts of the Spirit and how they should operate in the services. Uh, Very natural stuff. Um, And in 1 Corinthians chapter... uh, 12 that we're getting ready to look at is where he starts explaining the body and describing the church as a body because this church as we're going to see in the beginning of the book um, they ran into some problems with each other you know we got enough on our hands fighting the devil and putting him out Uh, we don't need to be stirring up division and dissension within the body but this is happening people are trying to climb a corporate ladder if you will, within the church. Um, When I was on leadership with Pastor Earl, he brought a very awesome leadership dynamic that I'll use for the rest of my life. And um, a lot of times when you see a leadership structure, um, I don't have a, a board, but they'll show it to you in kind of a stepping stone type format. This is a level, and then this is another level. Uh, you know, we had uh, fellowship leaders as one level, uh, one layer of leadership, and then we had the pastor, uh, you know, the pastors that we had on staff, and then you had the senior pastors and that type of thing. Um, and he came in, it was probably, I don't know, 2007, 2008, around in there, and came in and totally revamped that structure because we saw something based upon this. And he went to kind of a spider web type format where you had the pastors in the middle, and it all went out from there. But what was he trying to prove? He was trying to show that we're all on the same playing field. I'm on the same playing field with you. The shepherd is on the same playing field with the sheep. It's on the same level. So there is no trying to climb the corporate ladder and trying to get higher up and move higher up. But this is happening in churches. And this is stuff that you hear about in the business world. This is here stuff that you hear about um, you know, in the corporate world where people were just trying to get one up on someone else. And that's not the way it is in the kingdom, because in God's eyes, one, we're all royalty. We're all on that level. But two, 
each person has a different gift. This is what God has called me to do in this church, as senior pastor of this church. But your gift is no less than my gift. And there's no, well, I wish I could be at that level because we need to be at the level God has called us to. That's your fit. And so that's what Paul is identifying here because there's some issues that were going on with this church. Uh, Let's start with verse uh, 15 because we're talking about our relationship with each other. We've We've already identified who the head is. We are, we've already identified who the body is and how the body should relate to the head. And now we're looking at how the body relates to each other. So in verse 15, again, we're talking about a body. And Paul does a great job of, of showing the body here, a physical body. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as it pleases who? Him. Just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? So right here, he's doing some quick identification that, look, This should not be happening. There shouldn't be anyone saying, I want to be that person in the church. And there shouldn't be, I don't think we need that person. This is happening in the Corinthian church. That's why he's identifying this. There's envy, there's strife, there's gossiping, there's backbiting, there's dissension, division taking place within this church. And he's identifying, look, you are in your fit where God has placed you. I mean, if you can't value that, You know, I remember telling our leadership um, down in St. Augustine when I was a children's pastor, I said, if you don't value your gift, no one else will. If you don't value what you do in the church, then nobody else will. And you just have to be excited and value where you're at because you know God has placed me here. You know what the other awesome thing is about God placing you somewhere? Nobody can pull you out. Nobody can pull you out. There's no amount of gossip. There's no amount of backbiting that will stand against that because God has placed you there and he needs you there. So if God has you in that fit, the only person that can pull you out is you. That's called disqualification. The only way that God, um, the only way that I'm going to get pulled out of this position is if either God calls me somewhere else, which I know he's not. This is where he's got me. Or if I disqualify myself and keep God from being able to keep me in this position. Period. And that's the way it is with all leadership. And so that's the, um, that's the best uh, job security you could have. Is knowing that God called you to do this. He hired me in for this position. And if everybody understands that, then there's no wishing we could be at that level or do we really need that person. But this church, this Corinthian church, was dealing with that. They were dealing with all this backbiting. Um, And I like what verse 19 says. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? I mean, you think about it. If if I'm just one big foot. (laughs) Okay, so that's all we've got. If I'm just one big stomach, 
I mean, again, very simple stuff, but that's why God uses stuff like this. It's very easy. I know some of us probably wish we were one big stomach. We could just eat all we want, right? <coughs> Aaron over here, okay. All right. <laughs> he, he's a body with a big stomach, right? That's awesome. Um, if they're all one member, where would the body be? So that's where that comes from, uh, what we said earlier. Um, don't think of yourself more highly. We said one of those things was thinking that your gift is the only gift. And that just that's just ridiculous. That's basically trying to say, uh, I'm an arm in the body, and that's all we need is just an arm. A lot of us would look, you'd look ridiculous if an arm just came floating up in here. Come on, I know it sounds stupid, but I'm painting a picture. Okay? It's not right. We need the body. Amen? Let's keep going. Verse 20. But now, indeed, there are many members. I love how they just keep saying many. Because that, that right there just tells me you can't exhaust it. There are many members. Get over it. There are many members that are causing this thing to function, causing this thing to work together. He's not saying there's ten members and that's it. He just says there's many members, which means you've got to fit. I don't care if there's 15 people in this room or 15,000. There's a fit within the body for everybody. There are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on those we bestow greater honor. Our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks, that there should be no schism. That word schism is just simply division. No division in the body, but that the members should have the same care, here it is, for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer. One member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So you see that you're taking on this unit of a body, and you can't disregard one member of your body. You can't uh, say you wish you could be another member of the body. I mean, we, we, just, we don't picture that, but when you say you want to be, or if you're envying after someone else's position, then you're disregarding your position and, and realize you're leaving a hole. You're leaving a hole there. I mean, when, if I disregard my position as senior pastor and say, um, I just want to be a drummer, because I can drum. I can do that. I can play the drums. And now we have no senior pastor. And God's the one, God has called me to do this, to do this work. So we've left a hole. Um, so, you know, Paul does a very good job here of showing us what the body really looks like and how it's supposed to work together. Um, and the things that I'm wanting to point out is how the body works in unison, in one accord, and works as one another. Now, let's go down to, um, uh, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, because this is where I'm going to identify, this is where I want to show you um, what exactly was going on with this Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse 10. We'll start with verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, 
by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. He's asking the church to do this. He's not asking two people. He's not asking the board. He's not asking the pastoral staff. He's asking the church as a whole. And, you know, I mean, the bigger the church gets, you're thinking, how in the world do we keep doing that? But it's possible, or else he wouldn't ask them to do it. It's possible to be of one mind. Look, he says to speak the same thing. Be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Verse 11, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household. I love he just throws them out there. He just, he just throws the people out there and say, hey, these people have been telling me this. He's not worried about that. That there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you say, uh, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. As Christ divided, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? So what is going on here? Uh, Paul... Like I said, establish this church. And people have come in and helped keep the church going. Because Paul is a missionary, so he's, he's an apostle. He's going, he's starting a new work, he's planning a new work, staying there for a little while, and then going and starting another new work and putting some more, someone over that church. And so now the people in the church, those that were there when Paul was there, are saying, I am of Paul, so I'm better than you. To the people that came in when Apollos was there. And then same thing with those uh, that when Cephas was there. And all the different, different people down the line. And so now they're attaching themselves to a man. Um, you know, very literal. I mean, we can see this here. Pastor Brian was here for two, three years. Okay? And this can happen in the body. Well, I'm of Pastor Brian. Well, I'm of Pastor Mark. Very literal. This is what's taking place in this church. Okay? And people are trying to use this to get a one-up. And so Paul's saying, look, you need to be of the same mind because you're all of Christ. It doesn't matter the man. Let's, let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 because he identifies it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, and now with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. So apparently he was expecting them to be able to take something other than milk. And what he's talking about is in, in spiritual growth, um, you start out taking the milk of the word. When you're born again, you're born again as a babe in Christ. You're immature. You start out taking the milk of the word. But as you grow, you can then take solid food. But he says here, but even now, you're still not able, for you are still carnal. Why? For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? There's arguments and divisions and dissensions taking place within this church. 
because they are trying to identify themselves with a man instead of with God. And it hindered their spiritual growth. It hindered what they could hear from the word. Yeah, this is really happening. They weren't even able to grow up spiritually by what was being preached and taught to them because of the the divisions and the strife and the envy that was taking place among them. This is happening. This shouldn't be so. This shouldn't be happening in the body of Christ. And so Paul is addressing this. And he he goes on and he says, Who is Paul? And who is Apollos? And he identifies, look, I came in, Paul, and I planted. Then Apollos came in and he watered what I planted. So each of them had a role. But God gave the increase. God gave the increase. So it all point, he points everything back and says, look, there shouldn't be any strife. There shouldn't be any division. There shouldn't be any envy going on. This is how the body should be operating together. We should be in one mind, one accord, in unison, thinking the same thing, saying the same thing, believing the same thing. And when you understand the kingdom of God, you understand that everything that we do is purposeful. Everything that we do uh, is for one purpose. And so within the church, we shouldn't have people on this section going after this thing and, and people on this section going after this thing. And then we all want to have opinions and we all want to have say-sos. And this just isn't right. Because you have to trust that the leader that God has placed within your church that God is speaking to that person and he's capable of leading you. That's how it should be directed. And this is how you stay away from envy and strife and divisions. You know, this is where America is at today. And it's sad because everybody has a say-so. Everybody gets to vote. Everybody has their right. Well, I got my rights. I got my privileges. I can have my say. I can have my input. And then everything goes to the majority. And if the majority is wrong, then you choose wrong. And it's a terrible thing. I love my country. I love the United States of America. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. But in the kingdom of God, this is not how it works. The kingdom is about a people coming, to, coming together, thinking the same thing, saying the same thing, believing the same thing, and using all their resources to accomplish one common goal. That's a kingdom. A kingdom isn't split. And Jesus said, a kingdom divided against itself, it will falter. It will fall. You know, I, I believe that's probably one of the biggest th- problems that we have in our government today is because they're split. And Jesus said it himself, if you're divided, you cannot stand. You cannot stand. So church is built like a kingdom. It's a structure of a kingdom. It's one voice and everyone following that voice. And that voice is God. And when you know that God is your voice and he has your best interest at heart, it's easy to follow him. When you know that he cares only for your well-being and he wants the best for you, that's easy. Okay, and we've we've had too many leaders. We've had too many government officials. We've had too many kings. We've had too many presidents that have either sought their own interest or have been swayed by a popular people, even though they were wrong. And so we don't trust that anymore. 
But we have to learn to trust that again. You have to trust that in the kingdom of God, and you have to trust that in church. You have to trust that the leader, the head who God put over that, is being led by the Holy Spirit. And if he's calling the shots, he's calling the shots with the church's best interest at heart. I'm not up here doing what I want to do. I wouldn't even know where to start. The only reason I'm here today is because I gave my life to God and said, if this is what you want me to do, then I'll do it. And you have to lead me. You have to be speaking to me. He knows what Valdosta needs. He knows what y'all as individuals need. And he knows what this church needs to look like and needs to do so we can make the best impact in this nation or in this, in this city. He knows that. I don't even know that. I'm not even going to try to tell you that I know that. But I'm being led by the Spirit. And division and strife and envy and wanting to do this and wanting to do that, uh, it's not going to happen. Because that's not his church. And he's coming back for his church. We want to be his church. Uh, So let's keep on going. Uh, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Divisions. um, When you have division within one group, that's called a civil war. Okay? America had a civil war. And that was the north versus the south. Um, And countries go through this all the time. And it's really the saddest thing when you think about it. A country fighting itself. A same people group fighting itself. It's like, don't we have anything else to be doing? Isn't there anybody on the outside that's bringing opposition? And we saw in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So guess what that tells us? The enemy, if he's going to try to take the church down, he's going to have to work from the inside out. Because he can't get it from the outside. There's nothing the enemy can do to attack the church. It says, no weapon formed against us will prosper. But we can end up being our own demise. We can end up deteriorating and destroying the church from the inside. And this is how the enemy works. And again, as we've been saying, he's crafty, he's sneaky, he's tricky in how he operates and how he does these things. So look what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 24. Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself will not stand. And, you know, we've probably heard this verse used a lot within our homes and our marriages. And that's true. But the same goes for the church. Because if the church is supposed to operate like the kingdom, then this same rule goes. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Well, the, the same goes for all kingdoms. It doesn't matter if it's Satan's kingdom or not. And the same goes for the church. Because the enemy has no place in the church. But if he can bring up people to bring strife and division and envy, to gossip about each other, and to, and to backbite each other, and to attack each other, uh, you know, that's probably one of the quickest things that, that we jump on as pastors, is when we see 
people talking about other people. That's ridiculous. Either go to the source or go to a head. I mean, there's no need to go to someone else that has no business. I was talking with someone this past week, and they had someone that was um, dealing with an issue of gossip. And um, this just came up in me by the Spirit. I wasn't even thinking this at all. Um, But I told her, um, I said, you know, if they're dealing with gossip, the root of the issue is what they're listening to. Because if you don't hear it, then you can't spread it. And we probably ought to cut off some conversations with people that contain information that we have no business listening to or hearing. And then you won't have to worry with the temptation of, I want to tell that person. I I think they need to know. I think they should know. Uh, know. And then what do you do? Then you inflict upon that person the temptation to go and tell somebody else. I mean, the second you throw out, hey, you want to hear a secret? Okay. It ain't a secret. <laughs> Let's talk about some secrets then. Tell me one of your secrets. Now, we only have secrets on everybody else, right? But that's where that's the root of gossip is hearing something. We always think about gossip as us talking and saying something, and they just shouldn't say anything. They probably should have, when that conversation came up, say, hey, are you talking about that person again? I, I don't want to hear it. Wait until I leave, or I'll leave right now. Very simple. I mean, this happens in high schools with kids, and I'm telling you right now, it happens with adults. A lot. Happens all the time. I've worked in some places. I've worked in, I've worked in an office that had four people in it. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. And there'd be one girl in the office that's 20 feet away, and I'd be sitting back here at my station and they would tell me something about that person. And I'd tell them, I'd say, really? Let me ask her. No, no, don't bring her out. Okay, all right. You, you don't want to face the music then. Well, then you have no, if, go talk to her about it. Don't talk to me about it. Well, I'm just venting. Well, you need to turn the vent off. This has got to be a power switch somewhere. Let's just shut it down. Go vent to someone that, go vent to her. Let's just go vent to what we want to say to the person that we want to talk about. It's very simple. I don't have to deal with the temptation of wanting to tell somebody else because I just went ahead and said I don't even need to hear it to begin with. Okay? So Paul is identifying that these things are happening, and Jesus says that these things are what will bring the church down. They will destroy the church. So Jesus addresses division. He says that the kingdom, if it wars against itself, it cannot stand. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. The enemy is looking for this loophole. I'm going to tell you right now, we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. He is looking for this. And know this. As excited as we are about people that come to this church and visit this church, there are some people, the word says, that will come like uh, that will be wolves in sheep's clothing. And as your pastor, I've got your back. I'm watching the flock. And the second signs start showing up, and I'm telling you, they happen. I'm excited about people walking in here, and I'm excited about visitors, and I'm excited uh, to see 
the people that come to this church, I'll tell you right now, but there are those that come in with selfish motives. There are those that come in just to seek to tear the church down. I'll tell you right now, there's, there's probably people in this city now that probably don't care too much for Anchor Faith Church. And you're thinking, man, we haven't been here that long. I mean, how many enemies could you have? Jesus was in ministry three years, and they killed him. It doesn't take long when you're preaching the kingdom. Okay? And there's some people. And all I ask is that you come to the source. That's all we ask. Because I'll do the same for you. I do the same for every single person in this room. But there are people that have intentions to just come in here and tear this thing apart. Why? Because that's what the enemy wants to do. He can't lay a finger on this church unless somebody gets in here and starts infiltrating and starts talking and starts backbiting and starts planting roots of envy and, and roots of selfishness and, 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 and roots of deception. That's how the enemy attacks in the church. And we're not ignorant. Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant of the devil's devices. Ignorant means you just don't know. I can't, we can't war against or fight against something that we don't know. Okay? That's probably the number one thing in military. You've got to know who you're fighting. You've got to know who you're going in against. And so we have to be careful of that. Um, and that's what the body's supposed to look like. We're supposed to be working together. Uh, Titus chapter 3 and verse 10. Titus 3. Look what, look what this verse says about people that come in with those type of motives. Titus chapter 3 and verse 10. Let's start with verse 9. 3 verse 9. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and striving. He says to avoid them. Shut it down. Get away. I mean, you should want to run so far away the second those type of things start showing up. I mean, red flags should be going up. We, we shouldn't even be anywhere near it. For they are unprofitable and useless. They're a waste of your time. And they're a waste of your gift. Verse 10. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Reject. Reject someone that comes in with division, with plans of division, with plans of strife. And that will happen. It's a simple seed. And, you know, a lot of times you don't even notice it for what it is at first when people come in with these kind of intentions and they come in with these type of motives and this kind of talk. And that's not the body of Christ. That's not the body working together. That's the body working against and we need to understand that so we can do, we can either correct that issue. Remember we said last week that there's two things you can do when a part of your body, your physical body starts working improperly. You can either do what you need to do to correct it or remove it. Either that or it's going to continue to bring pain and ailment and suffering to the body. And the whole body's going to suffer because we didn't reject these type of things. We don't let these things sit. We don't reject, we don't, we don't allow these things to, to continue. Because you infect one and then it continues on and it ends up affecting the rest of the body. Sometimes you have to remove things to keep it from spreading to the rest of the body. 
You know, I mean, uh, gangrene is like that. If you don't get rid of it, then you have to either get rid of that part of the body or it will infect the whole rest of the body. And you'll lose more. I know a pastor um, that uh, we're connected with. He's up in a um, up in a church up north, and they had an issue with someone. He had an issue with someone that was on his staff, um, and he was ready to to pull him out to remove him. And um, so the guy came in his office, and he was pleading and begging and crying and saying, "You know, look, I'm so sorry. I just, you know, I want to stay on staff." And he kept him. And I think it was, I don't know, three or four years later that it got even worse. And he ended up losing, I mean, I think he was running 1,000, 1,200 people in his church, and he went down to like three or 400 people. And he had a talk with God, and he said, you know, what happened? What did I do wrong? And he said, you thought you could do your job better than me. He said, I've been talking to that man for years, and you were supposed to remove him. You were in a position to remove that man, and you let him stay, and the thing kept on going and infecting, got worse, and he lost over half his church. And he's rebuilt by now, and he's doing great, but he lost, I don't know, probably a good eight to ten years fighting that thing and getting it back to what it should be. And it's probably something he'll have to deal with for the rest of his life in ministry. And so these are things that we're careful to watch for. And when those signs start showing up, see ya. And we're all about restoration. And if you'll receive correction, I mean, you have a fit. God has a fit for you. and He doesn't remove that. He says uh, the gifts of calling, the gifts of God are without repentance. That means he doesn't give you a gift and then take it back if you mess up. But correction and restoration has to happen. And so I watch for that. I don't, I don't watch just to see how people accept me and how my relationship is with people. I watch within the body because if, if I'm up here as the head and I'm allowing problems to go on down here, it's hindering the entire body. Remember, we're the body of Christ, and Jesus sees these things. And if there's an issue going on between the body and Jesus just sits on it and says, well, I'm the head. I don't have anything to do with it. They're all right with me. They're going to end up infecting the rest of the body and make the, the body of no use. My body is not productive if there's parts of my body that are working against me. And all it takes is a few. It doesn't take a lot. And so we're quick to get on that because this is the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ, and there's a certain way we're supposed to act. There's a certain way we're supposed to interact with each other. We're one another. Um, I just pulled a few verses, well, several verses, and I'm not going to go through all the verses, but these are some of the things that the Bible says about one another. The Bible says to love one another. The Bible says to honor one another. Bear one another. Be kind to one another. Receive one another. Care for. Forgive. Teach. Comfort. uh, Edify or encourage one another. Consider one another. Be hospitable. Minister 
to one another. Prefer one another. This is what the Bible says that our interaction with each other is supposed to be like. Here are some things that it says not to do. It says don't, don't provoke one another. Don't envy. Don't hate. Don't lie to one another. Don't forsake one another. And don't speak evil of one another. And those are just a few things. But it gives you an idea of how we are supposed to interact with each other. And when you're members of another person, that means that what I do affects you. And what you do affects her. And what she does affects him. Because we're all in this thing together as one unit. We want to be the body of Christ in this earth. We want to represent him. And we're not going to do that. We're not going to be effective. I'll tell you right now, this church will do nothing in this city if we just have a bunch of backbiting and anger and and strife and envy going on here. And we have to check ourselves. We have to check ourselves. And the Word tells us what to do when these things start to come up. The Word says to go to the head. Go to the head if you have ought against your brother. If you have ought against your brother, go to the person. In fact, uh, in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, he says that your prayer of faith will actually be hindered if you have unforgiveness in your heart. That your relationship this way will fail because your relationship this way with someone isn't right. So the word gives instruction to clear these things up. And as long as we're walking in love, then there's, there's no issue that can't be fixed. There's no issue that can't be put together, uh, put back together so this body is doing what it's supposed to be doing in the earth. Amen? This is what the body is supposed to look like. This is how we're supposed to work and interact in relation to each other. Okay? And you're not here just serving me. You're working as unto the Lord. But we're all doing this thing as a unit. And we're all excited about our gifts. And we're going to talk a little about, I don't know if we're going to do it next week. I'm kind of jumbling where we're going to go next week. But we're going to get to the gifts, um, not only the gifts of the Spirit, but just the gifts of ministry that you can bring to the body and what those gifts are for. I said a little bit tonight that those gifts, the church should get them before the world does. The church should get your gift before the world does. The church should get your time. The church should get your resource. And we're going to see that next week. We're, we're going to, you're going to see what the church looked like in the book of Acts, and it's hard to find that today. It's hard to find. I mean, in the book of Acts, you've got people selling stuff and bringing the money to the church to say, whoever needs it in the church, it's for them. I mean, it's, that's what the body of Christ should be doing. One unit taking care of each other. I mean, if, if a part of my body is hurting, there's another part of my body that's coming to its aid and that's picking up that hurt and then also maybe doing a little more than it should until that part of the body is back to where it needs to be. And this is the body of Christ. This is how we work um, when we're hurt, when we're down. It said when one hurts, we all hurt. And when one is honored, we're all rejoicing. Amen. So we're going to continue on with that. Father, I thank you this evening. I thank you, Father, for this church.